This is Dissecting Dragons, the speculative fiction podcast for writers and readers by writers and readers. Hello and welcome to Dissecting Dragons. I'm Madeleine Vaughan. And I'm Jules Ironside. This week, Running with the Wolves, the werewolf in folklore and speculative fiction part two. <laughs> I sounded a bit uncertain then, but it is absolutely about the werewolf. <laughs> it was kind of like you're like the werewolf and you just stopped to look in the doorway where the werewolf was stood. <laughs> just... That's exactly what happened. There was a werewolf and no, there was a bloke with a wolf head in the door as we discussed what a werewolf is yes. in the previous episode. And he nodded at me to go on and I felt empowered to do so. So here I am. <laughs> It's like, are we, that didn't happen. Are we allowed to call you that? Is that okay? Yes, that's fine. Okay. Is that a racist term? <laughs> <laughs> uh, so, yes. Um, so, for those who have only just tuned in to this episode and haven't listened to our part one, uh, we highly recommend uh, that you do check that out. Um, it will give you um, a certain level of context um, and is a nice build-up to, obviously, this second half. Uh, plus double whammy I mean what's not let me try that again what's not to love (laughs) other than my inability to speak any kind of coherent English (laughs) Um, yeah so this episode is looking at werewolves in popular culture and obviously that evolved out of folklore and mythology and weirdly the history around humankind's troubled relationship with wolves and themselves um, which we discussed in part one. So we're going to have a look at that now. Mm-hmm. And <laughs> where we, I think last week, we gave a list of things that everybody accepts as werewolf law canon, mm-hmm. and none of them are actually werewolf law at all. Yes. <laughs> so we're going to have a look at where some of those things have come from. Yeah. Okay. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> So first of all, we have to start somewhere, and I think a good place to start is with the 1941 film by Kurt Siodmak, The Wolfman. Um, now, when people say, you know, werewolves transform, uh, it's it promoted, it's prompted by the full moon. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's where that comes from. He was the first person to use that. Um, it's a black and white film. The makeup is probably pretty good for the time but we look at it now and we we probably snigger a little bit yeah um <laughs> and it's got it i mean honestly i would say actually it's worth watching for its story you're going to find it dated there's no way you can't find it dated it was it was made like what 80 odd years ago now um but uh in terms of the actual story where you have this sort of semi-tragic hero who didn't ask to be this powerful creature of the night and it just happened to him and it happened to him because he was trying to help somebody else he was trying to rescue somebody else who was being attacked by what appeared to be a large wolf and then he started to undergo some changes um it's also where we get the idea that silver will kill werewolves because that was you know promoted in that particular film as well Uh, again that's completely inaccurate in werewolf law Um, and if you are familiar with the little poem which comes out of folklore apparently although no one can find the original source so it might have been made up for the film um, even a man who's pure in heart who says his prayers by night may become a wolf when the wolf's bane blooms and the moon is full and bright that is also from that film Mm -hmm. 
Yeah. <laughs> so it set the groundwork for all other werewolf films and werewolf iterations. So in that respect, it's a classic. It was remade, I think, in uh, 20... I want to say 2016, but it might have been a year or so either way. Um, with... Um, I, I want to think Benicio del Torres as the Wolfman in it, and it, it is still, and that's a pretty good remake. So Anthony Hopkins is is the old man, the, the 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 older werewolf in it as well, and it's a it's a decent enough film, but it it lacks something of the original in my opinion, even though the original is noticeably shoddier on effects and things. <laughs> the original is is a product of its of its day. <laughs> it is. So we've got a bunch of discussion topics and we're basically just going to go through and, and discuss them organically and we're going to try and draw, hopefully, um, ideas on how these are used in speculative fiction and popular culture mm-hmm. uh, from things we've seen. So it might be a little bit of werewolf lore here and a bit there. Yeah. Uh, we might not be using something that's specifically werewolf um, but has a werewolf in it. So, for example, Buffy the Vampire Slayer, etc. Yes. Yeah. Um, okay, so... First topic, and we ought to get a reasonable head of steam on this one, uh, werewolves as a metaphor for puberty, which has definitely been a big thing since at least the 70s. Yes, Um, I mean, the whole teen wolf thing, just really. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, I have to say with teen wolf that, I mean, obviously the clue's in the title for a start, but I I remember the original teen wolf coming out. Yeah. (laughs) You know, the first one back in the 80s. And it was it was funny and it was goofy and it it did sort of nod towards those growing pains of being a teenager and trying to find your place at school and trying to work out uh, the sort of the popularity side of things, the social hierarchy side of things. Yeah, it didn't necessarily look at the very real physical transformations and the fact that people can often have a have a problem with that. Yeah, um, particularly women feel that their bodies are betraying them at a certain point during puberty because <laughs> suddenly it's doing all this weird shit it wasn't doing before yeah and and it's all the stuff that's no you know it's doing all the stuff that it wasn't doing before um and suddenly also you're kind of being told that all of those things are ugly undesirable yeah. um and that you need to kind of quell them down get rid of them um and yet there does seem to be this kind of relationship between werewolves and male puberty um, the idea of suddenly suddenly getting buff, suddenly getting very big, suddenly getting very athletic, um, yeah. which is... I have mixed, mixed thoughts about. <laughs> um, I think the thing is, there there is... You know, it does have a root in, in some actual physical transformations for, um, for, for young males, mm-hmm. because, I mean, obviously I haven't gone through male puberty, but... Um, having sort of had a, had very long discussions over the years with Alan about this he's like one day you're like shorter than everybody else and then it seems like overnight you're suddenly a foot taller and your hands and your feet are too big and you can't get anything to coordinate and you're you're low-key angry like most of the time yeah with a, a 95 percent chance of, of flying into a genuine rage because your brain is full of this stuff that's telling you to 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 to, to either um fight or or you know fuck basically <laughs> and it's like you get on top of it and the, the whole part of um of growing up and you know essentially becoming a man if you like 
isn't really about sort of like yeah I, I've gone through the hunting ritual and I've killed this stag here you go can everybody celebrate me I'm now a man of the tribe kind of thing it is actually about learning to govern all of that within yourself yeah um and I've spoken to other male friends who've who've expressed similar experiences so mm. I'm like I'm willing to take that on face value and I think that you know, in the same way that the Incredible Hulk is kind of a male puberty metaphor, I can see werewolves being a useful metaphor in that respect. Yeah, I absolutely agree um, with you there. Um, it's the... Well, w- w- weirdly enough, I feel like, you know, with, with comedies like Teen Wolf and stuff like that, I mean, we're talking about the original film, um, it kind of did work in terms of being funny. It did work in terms of saying this is a funny this is a funny thing that happens in reality yeah. rather than being transformed into this brooding excuse for violent behavior um which uh, yes <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I, I, you're right i mean i don't think there's any and we will look at some of the others in a moment mm-hmm. but i don't think there is any sort of werewolf metaphor or metamorphology Ooh. I wonder if that's the thing, um, where it's where, the, where it doesn't have a darker side, where it isn't sort of like about the beast within in some respect. And yeah. sometimes there's good cause for there to be a beast within. Yeah. And sometimes there isn't. Um, and, you know, if we link it back to the folklore, if we particularly link it back to the Romanian folklore, whereby only violent, unprincipled men actually became werewolves. So, you know, someone with a history of wife beating or someone who attacked his own children or who was a sexual predator or what have you. Yeah. Um, That's kind of very baked in. So it's difficult to get away from that dark side. Hmm. The problem is when it's promoted as something sexy and desirable in that incarnation, I think. Yeah, I completely agree. It's sort of put forward as a a tragic reality rather than a, a, you know, um, an undesirable thing uh, and when I, we talk about tragic reality it, it's basically certain behaviors are forgiven because it is this oh it's this complete lack of control rather than saying there is a level of responsibility that was always there um even if someone didn't have a choice in becoming a werewolf or not um they who they were before that was you know who they were (laughs) yeah absolutely and i think it's worth sort of saying obviously in romanian folklore um you know becoming a werewolf was not a desirable thing because you would be hated and feared by everyone your your own kind would shun you for good reason because you were no longer to be trusted to behave as a human being um so it was it was more of a punishment than anything else. This is kind of what you make of yourself when you corrupt all that is good within yourself. Yeah. As much as anything else, uh, without wanting to get into any sort of Christian type metaphor or whatever, because there's plenty of that. But yeah. <laughs> the very specific folklore seems to be sort of like, yeah, God has nothing to do with this. This is kind of something you, you do to yourself kind of thing. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I will say that I have seen you know werewolves is a metaphor for puberty for girls as well and it's very noticeable for films like ginger snaps whereby it it is very definitely kind of like girls hitting puberty and that obviously it's a different experience but i think there is that same 
feeling of lack of control Mm -hmm. and the same sort of maybe less hormone-driven anger that comes out of it because, again, you feel like your body's betrayed you and suddenly it's doing this weird stuff. Yeah. And um, suddenly, I think the thing is, if you are, you know, if you're a girl, you, um, you get this sense that everything was kind of equal before that or equal enough because you're all basically the, de- the default is that everybody's kind of like female right up until they're not um, biologically speaking and you suddenly go through puberty and it's like oh yeah and now the world expects you to be more quiet and more withdrawn and to be ladylike and to do all these things and yes a lot of that societal stuff is changing mm-hmm. quite slowly um, depending on where you are in the world because sometimes it's not changing at all and it's that huge sense of you know, here's the world and we're going to take it away from you now because your body's doing this on top of it. And I think you kind of get that with ginger snaps. Yeah, absolutely. Um, it is an interesting thing. And I, it's why I think the, the, the werewolf as a metaphor can work so well because there are lots and lots of layers to the werewolf concept in that you've got the biological change, but also the psychological change that goes along with it, which is that the world that you knew your reality has been pulled away from you so even when even in the sort of the sort of film traditional werewolf where oh under the light of the full moon they transform etc um they are still reeling and suffering with that reality even when they're not a wolf it's not just the physical changes which has altered their entire life their entire reality which i think is very much the case in a lot of you know a lot of times for puberty uh, particularly when it comes to sort of women's puberty they start getting you know their periods or things like that or you know you start getting your period you you might find that you're actually a little bit more angry or you're a little bit more emotional etc during certain periods or, or or not in the cycle and then suddenly you know you are you feel like okay well I feel much more like how I used to feel but everything has still changed my reality has changed um, because people are treating me different and I've got all these other different things to consider um, I think it's why it works so well uh, for sort of like yeah <laughs> for teenage stuff nowadays yeah and I think with that and perhaps with slightly not necessarily puberty but it sort of goes hand in hand with puberty Mm -hmm. and older is the sort of werewolves and sexuality thing whereby I I've seen a lot of um depictions of werewolves where it a person's one thing okay uh, this might be a bit of a a a bit a bit of a side quest but let's, let's pursue it anyway and see where it goes um yeah basically you see Blokes becoming werewolves in in media. And suddenly there's that certain je ne sais quoi about them, if you like. <laughs> they might have been they might have been sort of Joe Average before that and fine and everyone likes them, but they're not especially you know, they don't have a special physical prowess or anything out mm. of the ordinary. Um unlike in the sort of the original Team Wolf, suddenly he's suddenly he's the hot guy at school kind of thing, because it's cool <laughs> to be a werewolf. <laughs> But suddenly he's doing handstands on vans and, and you know, while they're driving and what have you. Um, suddenly he's on the basketball team. It, it goes with athleticism. It goes with sexual desirability. It goes with a certain amount of 
feel feeling more sexual mm-hmm. desire. Um, and it's noticeable in some of the films we're going to talk about later that it, this whole sort of werewolf as a metaphor for puberty, werewolf as a metaphor for sexuality, um, they feel more sexual desire, as in they're, they're not necessarily on a quest for a one true mate, they're on a quest for, you know, what's available. And they feel fine about it. There's you Suddenly you, you don't have the inhibitions, mm-hmm. I guess, anymore. And then you notice it with... Um, when you have a, a female werewolf, which, you know, you're getting more of them in films and things. And it's really noticeable that generally if it's a case of a classic female gets bitten by a wolf and now she's going through some changes again and, hey, this is even worse than puberty. Um, she started off as kind of one of my most hated tropes, which is basically a really nice, normal, ordinary, plain Jane type librarian character, and suddenly it's like she's taken off her glasses and let her yeah, hair down, and everyone's noticed the taking her. off the glasses, the wearing of certain clothes, and you know, yeah. it's like, it's like, what did you just get? Did you just throw out all of your jumpers? I don't understand. <laughs> Where yeah. did the cardigans go? Did you stop liking knitwear? Yeah. <laughs> Um, I mean, I can see why in film particularly that's an easy way of portraying a particular sort of internal change that doesn't rely on the full moon. Um, It's annoying, but (laughs) I can see why they do it. It's a visual cue. Uh, But the whole werewolves and sexuality thing, again, comes directly out of the folklore itself. Uh, It was mostly supposedly men who were supposed to have more sexual appetites um unfortunately folklore wise they tended to be sexual predators as we discussed in the previous episode so it's definitely been niced up a little bit for cultural consumption now it really really has okay let's look at werewolves and rage and the fact that just being a werewolf can be a a metaphor for ungovernable rage or in fact to the sort of ecstatic surrender to being truly angry and letting the chips fall where they may yeah uh, and i think that you know there's a there's a massive appeal in that um you know on a cathartic level um basically having a character who unleashes all of the kind of the ideas the concepts that we felt in our darkest moments and again we've we've discussed this in the past but you know um wanting you know, violent, wanting to see violence in a fictional setting is a very different thing from wanting to actually commit violence. We've all had a moment where we think, oh, I'm so angry, I could just punch that person. But you don't punch that person. Um, but then if you watch, you know, a great example is that I don't think anyone was watching Game of Thrones when Joffrey was dying and thinking, oh, oh no, poor boy. We were all thinking, yeah. Choke your little bastard. I was actually thinking <laughs> I was actually thinking he's not going hard yeah. enough. You know? This is this is the easy way out. Could you do nothing else other than poison him? And it, okay, it was a horrible bloody death, etc. And he was gargling up his own in, intestines, etc. But quite frankly, I didn't think yeah. that was enough. Um and the fact is it was the same yeah. with Ramsay Bolton getting eaten by his own hounds. It's like, that wasn't enough for yeah. me. I'm sorry. So maybe that says more about me <laughs> but as a person. Point, it's fiction. It would be a very different thing if you were watching someone die like that in in front of you in reality, because that was that would be very 
difficult to stomach for an incredible amount of people, and certainly not something that a lot of people could just instigate willy-nilly. Um, so when you see it in fiction, the idea of seeing a character kind of just give in to rage can be very cathartic because they are doing something that you are not capable of doing because you would have to deal with the consequences of that. And, you know, you also really, most people just don't have the stomach for it um, because we don't actually really want to hurt other people in that way. Um, but there's also this level of forgiver, you know, you can, they're a little bit more forgivable because it's like we're seeing this character, they've given into their rage, their violent urges, um, you know, or, or they've just sort of put all of that forward um, and it's forgivable because they were not fully in control of themselves. And so there is this kind of release that comes with it where responsibility is removed. And that is very cathartic, I think, in a fictional, you know, on a fictional level. Yeah, definitely. Um, and yeah, I mean, it's, it's difficult to talk about werewolves and rage and not talk about sort of the male mm. side of things, whereby um, that I'm not being an apologist here, but where I think we're trying to steer away from the fact that, um, you know, a lot of men do feel the need that a lot of women too, but particularly men feel the need to have an outlet for very specific feelings and thoughts and, and, mm -hmm. and ideas. Um, that is a harmless way of doing things. So, um, you know, a allowing sort of, I don't know, I don't want to say tra traditional male pursuits because I'm sort of like, I don't fit on either side, I guess, mm. is the problem. So I feel bad kind of trying to talk about it but uh, again from somebody uh, you know talking from perspectives of, of friends and my partner etc who have said no it very definitely mm -hmm. does feel like this there's a sense of we we're we're a naturally violent species in some respects um we do have that that element of being you know one of the nastier yeah. great apes um you know a, chimps can <laughs> in some ways we can be chimps some ways we can be bonobos but you know we're kind of more chimps and it's just because we've intellectualized a lot of that away doesn't mean that that that, that desire isn't there we're not wolves and the wild and the appeal of wilderness yeah. thing as well whereby we would like occasionally most of us to throw off the constraints of culture and society and just be in the moment in that specific way and if that included violence then yeah a lot of us do have that in there uh, we recognize that is not a doable thing and really we're a friendly species as well and that is the reason we have mostly yeah. survived by occasionally being able to pull out that violence when needed but the rest of the time just being very very friendly yeah. with each other and getting on together and collective intelligence etc but I think we ignore that urge at our peril and we demonise it at our peril and it is something that is important. So again, you're talking about the catharsis of seeing something just go completely wild and give in to rage, etc. Um, that, that is an important thing. Even when I'm looking at a film and thinking, this is clearly not mm -hmm. meant for me. <laughs> this is clearly meant for, for very, very high testosterone blokes. Um, 
they need their things too. I mean, it, I guess it's kind of like the Fast and the Furious films, which I don't <laughs> get. Okay, genuinely don't get. They seem to be pretty much the same film, but they must be doing something for somebody because they're so successful. So you know, it doesn't have to be for me. And I guess with some werewolf films, maybe I don't need a lot of plot. Maybe somebody just wants to see a wolf on the rampage, and I get that. That's yeah, fine. Absolutely. Um, I I think it's also the same with a lot of sort of. Uh, you know, dystopian horror kind of stuff, zombies and things like that. Total breakdown of reality. What do humans actually go like? Survival games, things like that, where it's just kill or be killed. Um, and people like playing into that fantasy, but the majority wouldn't actually like to live in that reality because they like to be able to play no, into that would... fantasy and then go down for a nice cup of, you know tea and a natter with their with their gran you know they don't they don't actually want to be well it's like i do quite enjoy zombie fiction um but i'm like yeah i, I don't think i want to live in that yeah. reality you know <laughs> Recur- recurring dreams about the zombie apocalypses and i'm pretty sure none of them are actually fun <laughs> so um i'm going to mention a film here um while we're still talking about werewolves and rage and wilderness etc um it's a little sort of indie horror number that came out in the 90s and it's called dog soldiers <laughs> yeah i don't I've know if you've it. seen it yeah yeah and i think the first time i watched it i was like what is this absolute crap and then the second time i watched it um times i watched it with alan okay the first time was very early in the relationship where he and i were perhaps not like you know how as a couple you kind of become more attuned and on the same wavelength yeah. hopefully <laughs> The first time I watched it, I was kind of like watching it entirely from my perspective. And I'm like, I don't get it and I don't like it. And then the second time I watched it, I had a little bit more of Alan's sort of perspective. And I'm like, okay, I do get it. This isn't the greatest film ever. It's not the greatest werewolf film ever, but I do see the appeal and I understand it. And actually, it's kind of fun when you look at it from that perspective. And I guess the whole premise with dog soldiers is you've got this, I think it's an SAS unit and they're on manoeuvres and they find themselves having to hole up at this cottage in the middle of nowhere in, in England somewhere. Um, and we do actually have quite a lot of middle of nowhere. Yes. We do have a lot of that still. And it turns out that there's something very wrong with the family that lives in that cottage. And they, they, they sort of rock up there and it's like Goldilocks and three bears, as in they're still stew on the on the hob and the, the beds are still warm kind of thing. But the family's absent. Yes. And it turns out the reason the family's absent is it's a full moon night and they're all turning into werewolves. And then what follows is like the rest of the second half of the film is all just about destruction. These these soldiers pitted against um, this, this terrifying creatures out of nightmare and it's a bloodbath. Yeah. So in some respects, it's a very biological male film. But in other ways, it's, yeah, I, I, I can see why, again, we're talking the catharsis of the, the wildness man versus nature and, you know, kind of surviving. Yeah. And they did they did play into the humour of it as well. Yes. Which I think is a good thing to do with werewolf films, actually, because I think people kind of miss the fact that a large proportion of horror is actually a sense of the ridiculous and being able to laugh at yourself at the right moments. Yeah. And that will actually sell the horror. Um, I've read a lot more horror recently. I've found a bunch more horror writers I actually really like. And the ones who are really good are the ones who... They don't stop the action and say, by the way, this is ridiculous and I acknowledge it. They're kind of like, 
yeah, we're going to do a flyby. This is ridiculous, but it's still really horrifying. What would, what if kind of thing? Yeah. <laughs> the release of tension. <laughs> yes, exactly. Um, I, I suppose the, the sort of rage or wildness thing sort of leads leads us on to the werewolves and male violence thing. And again, this is tapped directly into the original folklore. Yes. Um, and this is where um, I start to get a problem with it. Um, I see, and, and it's not actually about it being a, a sort of a way of discussing male violence. Um, it's the way that, it, that that is then framed. Yeah. Um, because as we discussed in the folk law um, part, uh, in part one, we, you know, we looked at how basically, and it was usually male violence, but obviously not always, but most of the of the cases uh, that we're aware of um, kind of indicate sort of male violence, particularly um, sort of sexual assault and, and serial killing and stuff like that, um, was that they were criminals of this kind and werewolf was kind of used to explain that um explain not justify explain they the reason they did this is because they were werewolves that gives us the sort of the why to people who just couldn't conceive of why anyone would kill or cannibalize or etc um but it's when it's um, ah, well, no, the, the only reason they did that is because they were werewolves and therefore we can cut some slack. That's when I start to get a bit, hmm, what are you actually saying with this when you use it in modern media? I think that's, I think that depends, and we're going to talk about one of those films in a minute, yeah. but it really depends how it's presented because if it's kind of like, okay, this person didn't mean to do it, mm-hmm. but their mind was gone when they were under this curse. They are as much of a victim in their way of violence in the first instance. Yeah. And they have gone on and perpetrated violence without being aware of it. There is some, some interesting discussion to be had yeah. there. But when it's a case of this has happened to me, I'm aware that I'm doing this stuff and I believe it and I wholeheartedly understand it and I don't care. I'm just going to just let the wolf do whatever it wants. And everyone's like, oh, yeah, you have to pity them and let them get on with it. That's kind of like, isn't that basically saying, OK, this person suffered trauma, so it's fine for them to go and inflict trauma on other people? Yeah. With, I mean, unfortunately, werewolf films where the wolf does an awful lot of damage, the wolf has to die. If you want the story to actually work in a way that people will find satisfying, the wolf has to die. Yes. Yeah. There has to be some sort of atonement, at least, or penance, and quite often that comes in blood. Yeah. And, you know, obviously, sometimes it's kind of the way that it's framed is in terms of the werewolf is aware of the fact that they do violence when they are in werewolf form, and they're trying to fight that. And as you say they are also then a victim of of the violence which is being done onto them um where it kind of starts to slip into potentially mm, questionable and and i realize everyone's kind of have different mileage and that you know we we've talked about paranormal romance and sometimes it is just big powerful man who is domineering 
um, and whose behaviours would not be acceptable in anything other than fiction. <laughs> yeah, it's the whole bully romance thing, and for some, you know, every it's the Sylvia Plath, every woman loves a fascist kind of thing, and it's a fantasy for a lot of people. Yeah, um, but the problem is that sometimes that sort of leaks out into kind of different sort of stuff, which isn't paranormal romance, which is trying to be something different, and it it kind of puts this idea of well of course I'm this way, I'm a werewolf and I'm like no, you're this way because you're a dick <laughs> I'm sorry yeah I mean I think where it works for me when I mean if you want to explore that idea of someone saying well I'm a werewolf ergo I abdicate all moral responsibility for anything I do mm-hmm. then I I'm not opposed to people exploring that I, if they have a, like a comparative so if you look at being human, yeah. um, I'm mostly talking about the UK version because yes. I don't remember the American version well enough to comment on it. But I loved the character of George the werewolf. Mm-hmm. He was genuinely quite a, a decent, gentle type bloke who'd really had his life messed up by this thing. And the whole sort of becoming a werewolf thing was awful for him every time it happened. And he was... You know, he he didn't want to hurt people and he was trying to take measures to avoid hurting people, etc. And then later on, it, as the series goes on, I mean, it becomes quite loopy and a bit flaky, yeah. but it goes on and he meets another werewolf who's kind of like just gone. He's given up, essentially. He's not even decided to deliberately abdicate any responsibility for his actions, but he's given up out of sort of loneliness and depression mm-hmm. and he doesn't care anymore whether he hurts anyone and he's trying to pull George down the same path yeah um so I think it's an interesting way of looking at moral quandaries in that in that respect I mean imagine if you absolutely knew you were going to spend one night of the month where you were going to commit horrendous acts of violence and you couldn't do anything about it and no cage would hold you kind of thing and all you could do would take actions to mitigate what you would get up to and then it's after a while it's like well I have to do this every time I guess there's a sort of amount of kind of chronic illness sufferer in there as well isn't there yeah and how do you live with this thing so it's it's a great vehicle for like asking all these questions um I don't think anyone's going to come up with any finite answers because I'm not sure there are finite answers (laughs) yeah absolutely um but that is that's the thing is you've got to be conscious of what am i saying or what am i discussing when i when i use this as a even if you're not intentionally using it as a metaphor sorry guys (laughs) someone's gonna take it as a metaphor (laughs) i tell you what i really really hated it was with kelly arms it made me stop reading the series because i was just like it was such a throwaway line um, Kelly Armstrong's book *Bitten*, which is kind of her werewolf series, which is parallel to her her vampire hunter series. Well, Anita Blake, I think it's called. Um, she's got one female werewolf. This is a really noticeable thing when, particularly, women write urban fantasy featuring female shapeshifters. There's only allowed to be one. Yeah, of course. And that really, really annoys me. Um, but also. She, she's werewolf, she's a, the only woman who's managed to survive, so obviously she's a hot commodity, so it's kind of like not like the other girls, and all the boys want her thing um, 
And she's discussing the fact that even as a werewolf, she is so much weaker than the other werewolves. Well, I find that improbable because if you're, they literally take full wolf shape. So there isn't actually much difference between a female werewolf, female wolf rather, and a male wolf in terms of strength and capability. Mm. In fact, a female werewolf tends shit sorry a female wolf tends to have more endurance most female animals do have more endurance whereas most male animals have slightly more power we're talking biology here um so there are some differences but overall it would be quite difficult for a male wolf to actually rape a female wolf biologically even if they were so inclined and wolves do not they're not inclined to do that sort of thing um Whereas she's, so she's kind of drawing on, on biology of actual wolves and she she just has this throwaway, throwaway line of like, yeah, well, it's it's no better being a female werewolf because the male werewolves are so much more powerful. Um, if you're a male werewolf and you want to have sex with the pretty redhead at the, at the bar, then you're not going to be polite and woo her and ask for a number. You can just take whatever you want kind of thing. And it's like, you know... The whole sort of like that okay she didn't want the werewolves to necessarily be the good guys but the rapes are given kind of thing sexual predation is a given and they spend most of their time human that's the thing that really bugs me yeah do you kind of see where i'm going with this it's just yes it's, it's and it's something that i found in again another one that i just stopped reading was the uh, mercy thompson series by patricia Patricia Briggs and Mercy is a a coyote and she's not you know she's a coyote shapeshifter she's not a werewolf Um, female werewolves are rare and female werewolves tend to die trying to give birth they don't get pregnant very easily Mm. so she's already using female biology against against them which again is something that really fucking bugs Mm. me and I'm like why are you using this metaphor to import um you know, sexism into this world you created. You could have made it anything. Yeah. And yet you've chosen to explore this thing. Okay, fine. But you're exploring it in a way that finally comes down to, and ergo, the conclusion is, I need a stronger, faster, sexier male werewolf to take care of me and be my one true mate forever. Yeah. Which is where I put the books down and and stop getting involved, because fuck that shit. Yeah. <laughs> I'm I'm all for people just bending rules and stuff like that in order to to create metaphor or to create certain ideas. But again, when and again, all right, everyone has different mileage. Everybody likes different things. I totally understand that. It's all particularly with paranormal romance and stuff. It's meant to be a you know, it's just meant to be an indulgence of fantasy that's fine okay no problem at all with that but the problem is that it's become so prevalent that it has started to sneak into other kinds of fiction um and this idea of the werewolf being this you know uh, this alpha this alpha male you know they've even equated it you know the help the whole alpha wolf and stuff like that um and that being sexy um and making a decision then to continue to kind of 
lesser sort of female characters and lesser the representation you have got to ask what am i saying with this and if your intention is yes i am trying to put forward this idea of the much stronger man because i like the fantasy of strong man comes and protects me that's fine but do it with intention do it with intention and please don't make sexual assault your fallback position yeah that um because I, for one, am really bored of Yes, I, I completely agree. Um, there is a slight difference in, you know, certainly stuff that's coming out now. Uh, werewolves and female rage. And when I say female rage, it's not that we have a different species of rage. It's just that quite often it has its origins in different sources. Mm-hmm. Um, and a lot of this is down to the whole sort of suddenly realising that the world sees you differently and it's not really entirely set up for you and you're going to be looked at differently and treated differently once you've you know acquired a, a woman's body kind of mm-hmm. thing um and there are all sorts of things attached to that which may or may not exist in greater or, or lesser amounts um i'm really kind of loving the fact that while werewolves started off in folklore as an explanation for very violent men um that then they're now undergoing this sort of transformation appropriately for them to explore female characters who suddenly landed with this thing that's been sort of pushed on them mm-hmm. and they're now having to deal with the very real fact that their rage is no longer toothless and they can do some real damage with it. Yeah. Um, a great example of this is a book I read recently, which is one of those horror books that I was talking about that actually does have a very dry, very wry sense of wit about it as well. And that's Such Sharp Teeth by Rachel Harrison. A lot of people didn't get on with the book because of the way that it was written. It's a very close first person. Mm-hmm. Um, there's a fair bit of body horror because it's not a nice thing to be a werewolf or to undergo the transformation. And, you know, she... The, the whole thing through going through being a werewolf etc makes her have to process some things that happened to her as a child um, and it's quite uncomfortable when you see her getting attacked by a werewolf in the first instance because it, even though there's nothing sexual going on it reads a bit like a sexual assault she actually says and you'll be telling me why don't I fight back and it's because I can't I can't and it is very, very uncomfortable in that perspective. Mm. But having said that, the book is really, really good. I don't want to give any real spoilers, but she's she goes through complete denial to, oh my God, I'm a werewolf and I've just vomited up a rat tail. What did happen to the rest of the rat kind of thing? <laughs> to my, my time of the month is now not as... It, it, you know, it's even messier and more uncomfortable than it was before. Can I still date? It's a bit like having a chronic illness. Yeah. Um, but hey, my hair looks better than it's ever looked in my life before. <laughs> Everyone says I look amazing. Um, my sexual appetite has gone through the... I've just had the best sex of my life kind of thing. And so there are plus sides, there are minus sides, and there are the whole sort of like, my new boyfriend thinks I'm absolutely loopy because I keep thinking, oh shit, I'm a werewolf, I can't do that. <laughs> having to change my behavior it's it's quite funny and i think it's quite candid in how it looks at at some sort of some of the smaller but still significant female issues so i thought that did the whole you know werewolf equals female rage issue really really well yeah i can definitely see that i don't think it's a book that i could stomach reading but uh 
It sounds like a very cool concept. <laughs> oh. <laughs> let's move on um, and look at some of. Well, okay. Let's look. Let's look at some of my favourite werewolf films. Madeline, if you want to chip in with any of your favourites, yeah, sure thing. Feel free. Well, what's interesting is that you've got one of your favourite werewolf films, which is in the company of wolves. Um, and I have seen the film. Um, I was okay with it, to be honest. But I, I have spent longer studying the the anthology. Um, yeah. Or rather, uh, the bloody chamber, which includes in the company of wolves as lo- as well as uh, werewolf Alice or Wolf Alice, and the werewolf, um, which are all Angela Carter's werewolf stories, which are kind of merged together for in the company of wolves um to kind of create this very odd slightly trippy collection <laughs> yeah um i think it's really that the I mean the film kind of follows this like portmanteau fashion where you've got the main character rosaline who is is your quintessential uh female fairy tale character who is just on the cusp of becoming a woman kind of thing mm-hmm. And seeing that the world is out there and it's wild and she wants to run after it. But at the same time, she knows she'd kind of be safer if she didn't. And she's fascinated by the story of wolves and she's fascinated by the wolves, the werewolves themselves. And, you d- you know, it, in some ways, it's almost a bit incoherent in places. And it draws a lot of folklore um, and... what. <laughs> Interestingly enough, Angela Carter pretty much wrote the script for it, yeah. and they said they. I mean, because originally they were talking about doing a short film of of one of her wolfy stories, mm-hmm. and then they got talking her and the director and the the, the actor who actually played the the main wolf guy mm-hmm. um, were all talking, and they said, "No, let's make it a feature length film. We can bring in your other stories. We can bring in all the stuff that you haven't written, but you you kind of you know the sources you want." It's going to be kind of a little Red Riding Hood story, but kind of not. And and it, it's weird in the sense of it looks at the inequalities between men and women. And yet at the same time, it also presents the fact that actually it's not a foregone conclusion. You can have some equality there if you want to. Women do have their own power in this situation. You just might not like to wield it. Um, yeah. It's a really interesting film with some very gross special effects. Yeah, definitely some gross special effects. And it, it's an interesting anthology too. I, I think certainly if you've read the anthology and then you watch the film, you kind of you're able to pick up on certain strands. Um, it kind yeah. of, it, It's a very interesting thing. And basically of the three kind of werewolf stories, if we concentrate on two of them which is uh, the werewolf and uh, running with the wolves. So the werewolf is quite interesting because it's one of the shorter ones, um, and it is a little Red Riding Hood rewrite. So is technically Running with the Wolves, um, except you can absolutely see how Angela Carter drew on the case of Peter Stump, um, but also just on various other ideas about kind of gender roles. Um, and in that respect, it's it's fascinating because you have the grandmother. And of course, the whole concept in Little Red Riding Hood is that the wolf takes on, you know, the wolf eats the grandmother and then takes, puts the grandmother's clothes on and gets into the grandmother's bed. And it's this kind of idea that he then eats Little Red Riding Hood um, 
and of course he does it because the grandmother would never do that so of course it had to be the wolf and in uh the werewolf the grandmother is the werewolf or at least she seems to be in that when the werewolf actually attacks little red riding hood on the on the path she cuts off its paw and when she gets to her grandmother's house she finds that her grandmother is missing at hand and has the bleeding stump and when red opens up the package which has the paw she finds that it's her grandmother's hand um and so they just chase the grandmother out and they beat her to death and then little red riding hood takes over her house and cottage and you're like you can definitely see the story of grandmother the influence of the story of grandmother which is one of the older um oral versions of little red riding hood you can absolutely see the case of peter stump there um and and all these kinds of different things sort of coming in but also this really interesting concept which is that women can be villains too Um, yeah and that you know red becomes she is both little red riding hood and the hunter of the grimm's version and grand the grandmother is the grandmother and the wolf she is sickly but she is also the wolf at the same time it's really fascinating i don't have time to go into all of it because i mean i'm teaching classes about this at the moment so i've got like weeks worth of stuff but it is incredibly interesting and then you look at um uh running with the wolves and again she plays on this idea she pulls up on on a lot of the concepts such as the which path will you take which you know the the path of the needles or the path of the pins which has a whole cultural concept in sort of french kind of traditions and stuff like that with basically will you dress yourself up or will you um kind of are you saying you're sexually prepared um and you know she's playing on the, on these original tales of saying that yes the the sexual kind of nature which is seen as being wolfish is something that women are absolutely capable of as well and can consent to so this version of of red riding hood yes she is she's going to the wolf she's going to the wolf knowingly she is a little bit frightened yes but she ultimately wants this she's given it and then she is on equal terms with with the wolves as well so there's i think it's a fantastic sort of examination of gender particularly based on on second wave feminism um though i will warn anyone who's kind of dipping into angela carter's work uh that um she is very firmly rooted in the binary um i'm not saying that she was a turf but uh, there's certainly a lot of implications of the idea of femininity being directly related to your sexual organs um but either either way there is some fascinating kind of examination of of what the wolf can represent for women in it yeah definitely um i'll move on to blood and chocolate now if you've read my books you'll recognize that title from somewhere (laughs) um it's kind of a little known i'm trying to remember the author i feel awful that i can't remember but basically there's two books there's um the silver kiss and blood and chocolate and one of them's about vampires and one of them's about werewolves Mm -hmm. and they're kind of little known translated um sort of young adult horror but they're they're still very accessible for whoever 
and Blood and Chocolate is the film based on the book and it it kind of takes the spirit of the book mm -hmm. but I mean in the book they're not really werewolves it sounds like they crash landed on the planet a while back right. and they've lived there ever since and there's this whole culture of them and we use werewolf because we don't have another term for what they really are um, whereas in Blood and Chocolate they very are very much a community of werewolves mm -hmm. um, and I just I, I really like the film um, simply and it's not the best werewolf film it's probably not the best script either but the the young girl Vivian in it she falls for a human mm -hmm. and she is the werewolf um, it's forbidden to fall for a human simply because you're largely incompatible. Um, you shouldn't really be amusing yourself with a human. You shouldn't. You definitely shouldn't fall for a human and marry one. Yeah. Um, they need to basically keep this. I mean, there, there's there's hundreds of them, but they kind of need to keep the, the genetics where, where they are. Mm -hmm. um, I'm not using breeding programs or anything, but there is someone who she would be a more natural match for, if you like, yeah. in the film. So the whole thing is about her trying to, to reconcile this. And he likes her, so he pursues her thinking she's just a human girl. <laughs> Not sort of like, oh, she's running away because she's a werewolf who doesn't want to accidentally kill me. <laughs> 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 Which, you know, is perfectly reasonable. I mean, he's he's like a, a, a graphic novel artist and sort of like he's got, got all sort of sensitive, etc., um, so not not your alpha male type at all, and then it's found out that they they're kind of interested in each other, and every so often the wolves hold a hunt, and usually it's an animal, but every so often it's a human who's <laughs> who's kind of um, offended them, mm -hmm. and they they give him the option to get away if he possibly can. He gets a head start, and he's got to run. And obviously it's well outmatched because they are literally wolves with human intelligence. Yes. Um, except that she helps him and he, he he's kind of a bit resentful that she didn't tell him. Like, well, how would you, how would you tell somebody that you are actually a werewolf? You know, you write these graphic novels of fantasy and stuff. How would you tell someone? And he's like, okay, you kind of got me there. <laughs> and he said, how many of these hunts have you participated in? And she said, I'm, expected to participate in all of them so I participate in all of them she said I've never participated in a kill because I'm not interested in the kill I just like the freedom to run which again is something that he can understand mm -hmm. and it's at that point it's um kind of departs from the book because in the book it's it's more a case of she's jockeying for position with another potential alpha female mm -hmm. so it's a completely different thing but I just like it as a it's just a just a werewolf film and sort of feeling isolated from your own tribe as it were and then perhaps finding where you belong somewhere else which is I think a very human thing despite the fact that the film's about werewolves yeah absolutely um I I, I might have to check that out I'm not gonna lie it uh, it sounds rather engaging <laughs> um yeah we've already talked about ginger snaps so I won't go into details but that is a great one if you want a bit of a twist on a werewolf story where it's not it's not a young man who finds out he's a werewolf it's a girl yes and um but it is a horror film and things do get bloody yes. <laughs> so if you are not into that you might want to uh, give that one a miss <laughs> yeah uh, um and obviously the classic an american werewolf in London. yes 
we'll spend a bit more time on this one. This was basically based on the story of the Flixton werewolf, except that when they went to film it, they looked at the Yorkshire wolds and the Yorkshire dales and they said, it's not wild enough, so they filmed it in Wales. <laughs> <laughs> so they must have imported Yorkshire people into <laughs> Wales in order to... Anyway... Um, I think most people have probably seen the film, but if you haven't, it's two American students who are backpacking in Yorkshire back in, and the film's from the 70s, mm -hmm. early, no, the film's early 80s, but I think we're supposed to think it's kind of like the late 70s. Yeah. Um, and the, they encounter the very typical gothic trope of stopping at a tavern or inn, and the, the, the locals are kind of like, they're not helpful, they're kind of hostile um, to incomers, and they're not warning them yeah. That there is actually a werewolf on the moor. Hey, because if, if, yes. if they get attacked, then someone else doesn't. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Um, obviously, they have the, you know, the people in the pub kind of have a crisis of conscience and they go out after them, but not until this werewolf has already attacked one, attacked both of them, killed one of them, and um, bitten the young student, David, mm -hmm. um, who ends up in a hospital in London. Um, sort of grieving for the fact that his friend's dead and he's been badly injured yeah. um, and apparently it was an escaped lunatic who went after them on a full moon night again you've got the full moon which thank you Kurt Siodmuk and um, also the whole idea of lunacy mm -hmm. and the moon affecting your mental state etc folklore again yeah um but yeah, the idea that there's been a werewolf on the Yorkshire Wolds is a very old one. It goes all the way back to sort of, I think it's 946, mm -hmm. um, when, you know, you have King Athelstan and the building of the Hostel at Sutton Hoo, which we talked about in the last episode. Yeah. Um, and then there's all kinds of reports of werewolves, particularly attacking vehicles, whether it's a stagecoach, <laughs> whether it's a lorry. They go for lorries a lot, apparently. Yeah. <laughs> over the decades there'll be nothing and then it'll happen again um and it's just fascinating and then most recently i want to say 2016 mm -hmm. there was apparently attacks by old stinker um i've looked and i've looked and i've looked and th th this is not to say that there might not be this name for a werewolf called old stinker because he, his breath is so terrible um in local folklore mm -hmm. but it would be very unusual to say there's been a werewolf or werewolves in the area for well over a thousand years and it's always been called Old Stinker and to have absolutely no written record at all. Yeah. So I've got a feeling the name itself may have been made up or come from a children's game or something that one particular, um, inverted commas, werewolf hunter said when he was interviewed about it. I mean, he's a local folklorist. Yeah. But anyway, this wolf-man hybrid was seen um, jumping something like 24 feet over the Barnstrom drain with an Alsatian in its mouth. Ooh, so it was pretty big. That is, that's, that's pretty substantial. Um, there were a rash of sightings. No, nothing, was, nothing conclusive was ever found. Um, and the trouble with sightings of any sort of cryptid is the fact that they generally are subjective. Yeah. It, the world has changed for the person who's seen something that they literally cannot explain but generally it, it's a subjective thing yeah um, anyway american werewolf in london based around the idea of this werewolf being loose 
Um, obviously, David is now in London and he turns into a werewolf. There's a lot of amusing banter between his dead friend who keeps popping up in various stages of decomposition. <laughs> There's a fair bit of body horror. The, the actual transformation looks horrifically painful. And I think this might be one of the first examples we get of the full moon being full for uh, for the wolf's purposes both the day before and the day after the full moon yeah so it's full enough so they can have three days of destruction in london yeah. <laughs> it's also one that sort of doubles down on the idea that someone who loves the wolf can bring back its humanity just for a moment and allow for it to be killed yeah because obviously that's how it ends but it is a great film it's a lot of fun particularly if you like horror yeah <laughs> And it is, it's a classic. Yeah. For a reason. Um, I also really like the cheesy, very incredibly cheesy 1994 film, Wolf, which has Michelle Pfeiffer, James Spader and Jack Nicholson in it. Mm -hmm. (laughs) It does not have the best special effects. Fair warning. They're very, very 90s and they're not good 90s special (laughs) effects. I kind of like the story and the story itself is very cheesy but it does play on this idea that Jack Nicholson's character who is a an editor for a publishing company mm-hmm. is driving home one night and he thinks he's hit a dog on the road so he gets out to look and it's not it's a large black wolf that bites him as far as he knows it's a regular wolf and then he starts to notice things like he can hear really well he suddenly feels a lot more confident he realises his wife's having an affair on him because he can smell another man on her kind of thing. And he, his life changes in a lot of little ways for the better. Mm-hmm. But he is gradually becoming a wolf and thinking more wolfishly. And even though it's really cheesy, the lines that kind of stayed in my my head were um, power without guilt, love without doubt. That's what it is to be a wolf. And it's like yeah there's something very appealing for a human in that because we think and we worry and we we intellectualize and we we constantly hash over the same ground again and again and now imagine if all that anxiety and doubt and uh, constant self-examination was taken away and all you had to do was be the best predator you could be yeah and that 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 was inherently forgivable because there was nothing to forgive yeah yeah so it's kind of why I like that film. And even though it's super cheesy, all three actors do really, really well with it. And you get the impression they had a lot of fun with that film, which always sort of keeps me watching. Yeah, there is something rather nice where you're like, you're clearly just having the great, a, a good time. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> okay. Um, we did talk about Teen Wolf, obviously. Yes. but um... I t- Honestly, I'm not... <laughs> Teen Wolf is just a bit of a phenomena, I think. <laughs> I think it was quite clever, as we've said, them pairing uh, teenage growing pains with, you know, turning into a werewolf. Yeah. And obviously the, the remake series, which I did actually enjoy, and then I just I kind of fell out with it. Um, they did touch on those sort of ideas and whilst modernising it. Um, yeah. And I felt like they actually did, you know, really examine some quite cool concepts and some issues that teenagers do have to deal with um, in quite an interesting way. And as as well as some of the folklore, um, 
but I think that they were very much leaning into the fantasy side of things rather than trying to necessarily use it as a form of metaphor or discussion. Yeah, I think that's fair. Um, there's obviously loads and loads of werewolfy books, and there are a few that are my personal favourites that I've really enjoyed. I've just talked about such sharp teeth, so I won't go into that again. Mm-hmm. Um, I like The Silver Wolf by Alice Borchardt. Alice Borchardt was Anne Rice's sister, the late Anne Rice, mm-hmm. the late great Anne Rice. And it's f- interesting because you have Regina, who is a... She is a werewolf. She seems to have inherited it from her father. But this is set in post-Visigoth-sacked uh, Rome. So you're already... You know, it's already weird because it's, it, it's a historical fantasy with the main character who is a werewolf. Mm-hmm. And she's very distantly related to um, the royal family in France. Right. Which is not impossible at the time. Um, and she is being you know, married off as a political marriage and she's thinking, you know, I'm going to be murdered by my husband when I'm not the wolf because I can only change at a full moon and, you know, who wants to marry someone who's going to turn into a wolf once a month? Yeah. Um, and there's there's all sorts of stuff that I kind of like the historical detail. I like the characters who, who pop up in it. Mm-hmm. Um, and... Uh, Maniel, who is the main male character, ironically enough, is an even older werewolf because the werewolves are <laughs> <laughs> the werewolves are apparently immortal. Um, and he, it's there's no real big surprises, I guess, but it's quite an enjoyable story, and it's not really reflecting on anything. It's not using being a werewolf as a metaphor for anything. It's just an enjoyable <laughs> story, and that's all right too. <laughs> that, that's okay too. Um, there's the Other Wolf series by Heather G. Harris. Um, again, what I like about this is it's urban fantasy with a female alpha. And the whole point of an alpha in genuine wolf packs is the alpha is the one who goes last and looks after everyone else and makes sure everyone else is fed, mm-hmm. etc. That's the responsibility of being an alpha. This has a female alpha and her responsibility is to look after the rest of the pack. And because she became alpha by killing the original alpha... Um, even though it was at his request because he was dying a very nasty, painful death, um, she's not immediately accepted. So it's about her being Little Miss Sunshine and getting the wolf pack over onto her side. So it's quite an enjoyable little trilogy. Okay, that sounds awesome. I love that. And yet, um, <laughs> it's it's the joke that I've always seen, which is like, uh, people talk about sort of like the alpha, you know, like the wolf alpha and things like that. Oh yeah? Oh yeah, do you have crackers in your bags? Are you... Are you ready to sort of take care of people? Are you the one, last one in the club herding people out? <laughs> we call that the mum friend. <laughs> You're like, yeah, actually, honestly, it's the same thing. <laughs> Basically, True yeah. alphas. Uh... <laughs> um, my final favourite one is Wilderness by Dennis Danvers. And there was a relatively decent adaptation made of this. Um there's a I can't even remember the name of the main character it's that long ago since I read it but she's a werewolf and you start from the position of she's a werewolf she hasn't been bitten or anything and gradually it transpires that when she was a teenager and you know she was in that stage of you know developing through puberty etc um an older man who she had a crush on sort of kissed her Mm -hmm. in the barn on her parents farm 
And then he tried to push her further and she didn't want to go any further. And she, and in that moment of rage and change with everything that was going on with puberty, she turned into a wolf and killed him. Um, <laughs> and, then ever, and, and then ever since then, on a full moon night, she's had to turn into a werewolf, um, which has you know, played havoc with her life because it's kind of, uh, I can't go into work if it's a full moon yeah. because I don't know. I, I'm not going to be predictable and I'm going to feel awful afterwards. Um, so she has to make up this thing where she's got, she has these really awful period cramps um, once a month and ends up having to take a couple of days off work. And then when she genuinely does have her period, she's kind of like, I've just got to suffer through it at work because I've already had one period this month kind of thing. Oof. You'd have thought that um, they could at least coincide. You might as well it get would have been, two, two yeah. birds with one stone, I mean, <laughs> seriously. <laughs> Um, but she's lonely. She's desperately lonely because she's different and she's a wolf and wolves are social animals and she wants her pack. Um, and there's a love story woven in there as well about how uh, how someone can come to accept that. And there is an evil psychologist who believes she has clinical lycanthropy until she finally realises she can change whenever she wants to. She's just got to stop fighting the wolf. Yeah. Um, she manages to change in front of him, which is interesting. Um it has the most awful, god-awful, paranormal romance-style cover, but it's not like that at all. It's all about examining um, female power and, you know, female problems and uh, female sexuality as well. Mm. So um, it is a really good book, and uh, it's quite difficult to get hold of the adaptation that I think was originally done by the BBC, or for some reason, you know, you just can't get hold of it, uh, which is also pretty good too. Okay, I will have to definitely check that out. That sounds very interesting. Yes. <laughs> so yeah, I, I think we've come to the end of our episode. Yep, our little wolfy segue. Our little wolfy segue. Um, <laughs> there is, I know, still an incredible amount more that uh, Jules has had to push to the side. Um, yes. <laughs> and in fact we could have got an entire episode out of in the company of wolves yes we we so really could have. if that's something you want guys let us know because we will totally yeah, do that i i have a lot to say about in the company of wolves and just angela carter's wolf stories in general so um let us know um and also let us know what some of your favorite wolf stories are some of your favorite wolf books um, whether you agree with what we've said, whether you disagree, you know, we love hearing from you. Um, so please do get in touch. Now, before we go, it is time for our Dissecting Dragons recommendation of the week. And this week I am bringing you a wolfy one in the Ooh. form of Wolf Walkers, uh, which is by the same people who did Song of the Sea um and uh the book of the kells as well as uh the breadwinner for anyone who's seen it um it is a fantastic uh animated um film uh produced i believe by basically it's like a it's an irish and then a french and a canadian sort of like match up where a whole bunch of people co come in together um and the artwork is incredibly beautiful the the backdrops the scenery is beautifully done and it is the story of a young uh, woman who is sort of an apprentice hunter her father's a professional hunter 
and they are from uh, the north of England, but they have come to Ireland to help with um, basically a series of wolf attacks. And what happens is that they discover that there are some wolf walkers, essentially werewolves who are part of this wolf pack, and things get complicated from there. It's beautiful, um, it's wonderfully animated, um, there's a fantastic sense of folklore, and it really kind of touches on this idea of the relationship between the wild um, and sort of urbanization and things like that, as well as touching on on ideas of basically the uh, the British um, rule in in Ireland during the sort of the Renaissance and stuff like that, um, and uh, basically also like the puritanical Cromwell sort of eras. So there's a lot of stuff in there. And I really, really do recommend it for anyone who hasn't seen it. Cool. And where can we see it? Um, so I believe that you it is available on Amazon, but it is a it is one you have to buy. I'm, it's not available on Netflix so far as I'm aware at the moment. Um, but honestly, it's well worth buying. It really is gorgeous. Cool. I mean, I saw adverts for it and I was like, yeah, that, that's... Yeah definitely up my street i didn't realize it was out yet yeah though, so that's cool. it is it's it's all i think for those who have apple it's an apple original film so you might be able to access it through the itunes um not itunes but uh through that those channels anyway well worth watching yeah. and also uh it has sean bean in it so <laughs> just awesome. thought i'd put that out there for anyone who we were watching it and we were like wait a second that's sean bean uh, <laughs> Does he die dramatically in it? This I'm time? not saying anything. Um, anyway. <laughs> God. I can't cope with seeing him die again. It's fine, you just have to listen to him die. No, I'm done. <laughs> <laughs> okay. And on that note, guys, we will say thank you so much for listening and we will catch you guys next week. Yeah, thanks and goodbye. Bye. You've been listening to Dissecting Dragons, the speculative fiction podcast. You can follow our podcast at podbean.com or from iTunes. For more information, visit our Facebook page at www.facebook.com forward slash dissectingreaders or check out our author websites at jaironside.com and madelinevaughan.com. Please note that no dragons were harmed during the making of this podcast. Thank you.